I'm Heather, a chaos coordinator and mom of three young kids. Chaos and cookies is literally my life, with never-ending dishes, laundry, you name it. Being a mom is a blessing, but it also comes with hard days too. Together, we can find the humor and real solutions to lighten your load and clean up the crumbs. You're listening to the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Chaos and Cookies podcast. Today I have a very special guest and we're going to be talking about something we have not yet spoken and had a conversation about yet on the show. Uh, I have Miss Kelly Stewart and she is a licensed social worker and adoption consultant. She is a mom of four, married 23 years, and also a faster way to fat loss coach. Welcome, Kelly. Nice to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We've been trying to connect for a while, and our busy schedules were just, you know, life as moms and life as moms. All yes, the things. For sure. So we connected through Faster Way. Right. And we're both coaches. And before we jump in, I like to ask my guests, what is your favorite type of cookie or cookie memory? Cookie memory. I like it. My favorite type of cookie is I am from the Nashville area in Tennessee, but we grew up, I grew up in Knoxville, which is East Tennessee. And there is a bakery there called Ham and Goodies, and they have the most amazing lemon cookie. It's like an iced lemon cookie. And every time we go in to see family, we are, you know, paying $15 for a dozen because they're completely worth it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I always say cookie memory because usually chocolate chip is the go-to. So I'm like, well, if you like that one, cookie memory, but lemon that's a new one. And I always laugh. My mom said growing up, um, when they put together the church cookbook, you know, that they'll do instead of my mom submitting recipes, she would submit where to get things and so (laughs) buy the best chicken salad where, you know, things like that. And so we were really big fans of the ham and goody lemon cookie. What a great idea. Not yeah. just like, that's a great idea to be like, where do you get the best X, yeah. Y, Z? Because not all exactly. the time do you want to cook exactly <laughs> the recipe thing. We need to know where we can grab it and make it taste as you know, good as possible. If you're going to pay the money to get some takeout, you might as well get it from the best. Absolutely. 100%. Nashville, how yeah. is the weather there? Right now we're in February. Yeah, right now it's 60, but looking at the next seven days, we have about four days where we, they predict snow, which, you know, living in the South, you never trust it until you actually see it on the ground. And so our kids are crossing their fingers right now because we're supposed to get snow and ice tonight. So hopefully. Oh my, uh-huh. which is a mess. We it had mess. six inches of snow a couple of weeks ago here in yeah. Austin, which is never happens. And yeah. so the kids wanted to go play and it was fun, but then they realized like, oh, their feet were really cold. And then yeah. they would trek the snow into the house and it's just a mess. Yes. And I'm from the South. I do not like snow. Like it was really pretty to look at. I really like and enjoy looking at it. Playing with it was fun, but I'm not into getting all wet and cold, mm-hmm. even outside playing in it and then dealing with all the yuck 
inside. The after I'm you definitely need the gear. You have to have the right gear for sure to I enjoy so. the snow. Yeah. And because we live in Texas, it never yeah. snows. So like our gear is like, let me go find the ski stuff for uh-huh. like maybe adults that I've skied once in my life and seen snow. I could tell you on one hand oh, yeah. and then my kids of course are not equipped. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, they like, where's the gloves? I'm putting like my gloves on them mm-hmm. and they're little. It's mm-hmm. like, and their leather gloves, probably not the best <laughs> choice for wet. And so, you know, no, snow snow boots. I think they had their rain boots, which I've now learned that galoshes do not not equal work. snow because they still get cold and wet. So yeah. I didn't, because it, it falls in. Yeah, yeah. You learn the hard way, but you did for sure. Not experienced in snow. Well, we're supposed to get, I think, down to 19 this weekend. Nice. That's, oh, that's terrible. Cold. I know people up north are probably laughing like you wimps, but it's cold. We had a snow day that Monday. They canceled school because yeah. it's the end of the world, mainly because no one knows how to drive in it. So, yeah. but Same then, here. Ugh. Yeah. Same here. And we get ice more than we get snow, which is even worse because <laughs> it's black ice. So you don't even see it a lot of times on the road. So, right. If we live on a steep hill and so I could totally see like, but mm-hmm. they actually sent out an HOA sent out the warning saying like, stay off the roads and stay inside. Keep safe. Yeah. It's like, it's not the apocalypse people. I it's I snow and ice. Like don't drive in it if you don't know how. and just relax. It's not going to end. It's it's kind of funny, but anyway, so, okay. So you are a mommy four. I am. I have three. And so, you know, very busy and you're a social worker and adoption consultant. And when we chatted, I was so intrigued with your adoption story and also just the way that your family roles, honestly. And I wanted to share it with my audience because I think that the way that you speak about your um, family dynamic and message is so important and really very, um, I think, imperative to instill in our kids, especially young yeah. age. And maybe some don't really know how to do that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, we um, we have four kids. Our oldest is a college freshman. So we sent, we launched our first child um, in <laughs> August. And then we have a, um, a senior in high school. So we are back to back. And then we have a, our oldest son is a freshman. And then our youngest is, um, is Judson. His name is Judson. And he's in fifth grade. And we adopted um, Judson from Ethiopia when he was two and a half. So he's been home nine years now. So we've walked um, really through a lot of just the dynamics of adopting a toddler. Um, you know, the funnest time of parenting anyways. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Some of those dynamics. And so, um, and so now we're, you know, the thing I think people don't realize about adoption is it is a lifetime of really walking through that adoption journey with your child. And so we've seen a lot of different phases, not all of them yet, but yeah, we, we, we are, we are a little bit farther along than some people, but not as far along as others. Yeah, I mean, fifth grade, I mean, that's what, 10, 11 ish. Yeah. I mean, He's that's, 11. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's getting into like preteen almost. Right. So there's hormones come in and starting oh, yeah. all the things. So I'm yeah. sure. And, you know, children are children. They're all going to go through similar things and emotions because that's just how they develop. Um, 
but I'm sure being adopted mm-hmm. uh, brings on, I, I would say challenges or um, different experiences for sure. Right. Yeah. The thing about adoption is whether a child is born and, and, you know, adopted domestically at birth or in our situation, you know, he was, he was two um, or even six, seven, 14, 15, it doesn't really matter. Those children are born into loss. And so we, as parents, as, as the adoptive parents, we become really the, the conduit for them to process that trauma and, and really walk them through that. And we also see the realities of how that affects their brains and how they are able to process emotion, like you just said. But, um, you know, the thing that was really striking, um, I worked in adoption for years. Like I said, I'm an adoptions consultant and, you know, walked with hundreds of families through the adoption process, whether it was international like ours or whether it was a domestic adoption. And, you know, most adoptive parents come into it with really, really great intentions and really feel, you know, drawn and called to adopt and uh, to expand their families that way. And, and, you know, I thought before, I'll say this, before we brought Judson home, I thought I was doing an amazing job of preparing parents for what they were then going to walk through post-adoption. Um, once we brought Judson home, I realized there's just some things you can prepare for kind of intellectually um, and maybe somewhat emotionally, but until you really are kind of in the trenches, you don't really know how it's going to all play out with your child because trauma affects kids very differently. Um, and so that, that really became really eye-opening of just the really the lack of education and the lack of, of just preparation that parents have because we think, you know, I think a lot of, of times we go into it thinking, you know, the trauma's already happened. You know, a child, you know, being placed in foster care and having to go through that process or, or, or a birth mom having to place her child for adoption uh, for whatever reason, that's the trauma. And, you know, it really is part of the trauma, but the trauma there is the adoption is also a trauma. And so having to, to navigate that as parents where you're kind of experiencing your own emotions, um, but also trying to navigate a, a child who's very dysregulated and, and things like that. It, it, it's quite the challenge. <laughs> it can be yeah. quite the challenge. I mean, I can just imagine both sides of things, right? And also if, if you have children in your home. And mm-hmm. so how did you decide that you wanted to adopt after mm-hmm. having three of your own and then bringing in, and how did that work with the, your children in the home, mm-hmm. bringing someone in? How, how does that process work? Yeah. So we, at the time were, you know, like I said, I was working in adoption. So I was very familiar with international adoption, domestic, you know, kind of all the law around it, the ins and outs, the process. And we were involved in a church at the time where there were a lot of children being adopted internationally. And, you know, so our eyes were very open to it. You know, it's it's very different when you hear about it, but then when you put a little face to it, it really changes your perspective. And my husband and I went um, on a mission trip to Africa and we actually, you know, we're in very rural parts of, of Africa and it just very much 
opened our eyes to what true poverty is. And we just saw a, a need. And I'll never forget, we kind of wrestled with it for a couple years. Um, our youngest was kind of, he was four years old at the time. And our girls were seven and eight. And we kind of knew we didn't I, I knew we, I knew biologically we were done having children um, at that time, but I knew that there was always the possibility. And so just after a couple of years of us really wrestling with it, we kind of were coming home from a beach trip and we'd really kind of prayed through it at that point. And it became not so much, you know, should we, it changed more to why would we not? Um, you know, we have the room, we have, the capacity in a lot of ways, um, you know, the funding of it, we can figure out. Um, and so we just kind of put our yes on the table is kind of how we said it. And that was in a November and our home study was done by January and we went live with our agency in January and we knew we wanted to adopt um, a, we knew we felt really called to kind of a three to four year old. And I always laugh because, um, the way the Ethiopian process worked at that time is you, you, you're approved for an age and a gender and, you know, any kind of special needs through your home study. And so that's what your agency goes off of. And so we were approved zero to five and we, we knew we, we wanted a boy just because we had two girls and we wanted to just kind of round it out a little bit. And, and at the time boys were harder to place. And so we, and then lo and behold, we, our agency, presents us, you know, with an infant. And we were like, is there another family behind us that, that really feels called to an infant? And they're like, of course there is. And so that happened three times. And oh. um, after uh, the third time I called my husband and I'm like, are we supposed to adopt a baby? And he's like, no, we are not supposed to adopt a baby. <laughs> you know, um, that is, we are, you know, we were past the, the middle of the night feedings and all of those things. And, um, and so then the next referral we got was for, and he was 19 months old at the time. And, and so Aww. we said, yes. And that was, that was our story. That's so fun. I mean, that's, a, I mean, you're going right into the terrible twos though. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, woo. Yeah. But that's so, I mean, I've not, I've known some that have adopted or I grew up with some kids that were adopted, mm-hmm. um, different types of stories. And I always find it fascinating. Um, how did your kiddos, mm-hmm. you know, react to that? Yeah. So you know, our girls were a little bit older at the time, and we had to take two trips to Ethiopia during that process. And so we chose to take the girls, um, Parker and Emery, with us. And so they were able to visit the the orphanage. They were able to meet him, and um, they were really on board with it. I think they, they, and honestly, like looking back, like I realize, you know, we just have this trust that this is it's as much about, you know, our decision and how it affects my husband and I, but really this is a much, as much about their story and how adoption has really affected their life. And so, um, you know, we, when we brought him home there, there was a season that was really, really challenging. And so, you know, obviously we saw a lot of, of behaviors and a lot of aggression and, um, our kids took the brunt of it. I mean, they really, really did. And they, I just, I remember one day just talking to a friend and just saying, they just continued to rise. My kids continue to rise. And 
I, there were days where they had more patience than I did. They had more grace than I did. And they had more love to give than I did. And it was really eye opening of how they just saw this little boy who, you know, they began, you know, he, we were in the process of kind of shedding his, his, his title of it as an orphan and helping him really take on the position and the posture of a steward. And so, you know, it, it just is being in our family and being a son and, and being a brother. And they were just integral, you know, very integral in that, in that process. And, um, you know, they've got the scars to prove it. And they, uh, they were, they were remarkable, but it was challenging. You know, we instituted, we instituted during that time because we just felt so pulled in so many different directions as parents of four kids, 10 and under. And, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. we, you know, we came up with each kid got to stay up (laughs) after bedtime, you know, after one night a week, and they got to choose whatever they wanted to do with us because the mom guilt was so strong of just feeling like I'm not, you know, I didn't want to sacrifice my kids for their brother. And I didn't want to sacrifice their brother for, you know, the rest of the kids. And so it was very much a a dance of parenting at that time. Oh yeah. And mom guilt, real thing. I mean, especially if like for just, if you want to do something for yourself or you have to choose between kids, like it's Mm -hmm. not like you're choosing the favorite. It's just, it's just one of those hard decisions. And so sometimes they don't understand it. So that's a really nice way. Somebody told me one time, like your kids all need you. They just need you differently at different times. And that was such a, like a word of wisdom for me at that time of realizing like at this time in their, in our family's life, they all need me. They don't all need me to the same degree. And so I can trust that the parenting we've done along the way is going to carry them. Um, But also know that we're in this as a family and it's not just, it's not just my husband and I really in the, in the work of bringing about healing for, for, for Judson, it's really their siblings. Um, And so, you know, I would see them stay with him when we would be out at, you know, at Chick-fil-A or I would see them, brag about him and I would you know and so you just saw like the dynamics of our family change and I think anytime you add a child whether it's through adoption or through foster care or through birth it changes the dynamics of your family and I think we sometimes we grieve the loss of what was but I think sometimes we just have to embrace what we're becoming and trust that like this is their journey too and we can trust that we're going to do the best that we can for each of them um but it's just going to look different at different at different times right absolutely and i kind of want to segue into the family mantras and Mm -hmm. i think that's a really nice transition into what we want, I really wanted to talk about too, which was like how to lay that foundation. Cause when we spoke last, something mm-hmm. had resonated where you are still preparing your kids to be their best when they're not in your home. Right. 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 Yeah. We had this, you know, we were, we decided we just wanted to be really intentional in when they were young of what do we want to launch out of our home? What, when we kind of strip everything away, 
what are those values we want our kids to have and what do we want them to feel about our family kind of as they leave. Um, and so we just spent some time just reverse engineering. Um, and, and we really came, you know, like, I think as parents, we have these, you know, and I work in the school systems now. And, you know, I, I talk with a lot of parents and we all have these major ambitions for our kids and, and things like that. But I think when we really, what, what it came down for us is them to know, really, these are the two things that you are deeply loved and you always have a place to come home to. Um, and we just felt like if they can know that they are loved by their creator, they can know that they are loved by their parents, that they're always supported no matter what, um, and that they have a security in this place that we're launching them from, then we've done our job as parents. Because I feel like when you do that, the grades may come or they may not, but they're all, they're going to know how to operate <laughs> out yeah. in the real world because they're launching from a place of security, not from a place of trying to reach for those security in other things, whether that's grades, sports, you know, relationships, whatever it may be. And so that's kind of where we started from. And then we just began to look at things like, you know, we, we, as you know, we have high schoolers now. And so we kind of have a plan of like, what does our involvement look like with you and your grades in ninth grade? What does it look like in 10th grade? What does it look like in 11th grade? And then when you're a senior, you're on your own in a lot of ways because your choices <laughs> are, it's your future. You know, it's yeah. not our future. We've already, we've already made those choices and we're going to push you and we're going to encourage you. But we also want to lay that responsibility primarily at their feet because of how we've parented in ninth, 10th and 11th grade. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you can't keep them forever. And, yeah. <clears throat> you know, I think that it does carry on. Like, for instance, I had perfect attendance from kindergarten to senior year. Mm -hmm. Never missed a day of school unless it was for a school sanctioned event. I have the certificate to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> I have the, it's framed because. I'll be darned. I was going to put that on my resume and I got sick at the very end of my senior year. And I said, Nope, I'm going. It didn't, I wasn't contagious. I'm going, I don't care if I don't feel good because it's just like an accomplishment, but I feel like that's carried mm -hmm. through to me now that I have children almost to a fault, to be honest, mm -hmm. because like my son got um, last year he had some sort of stomach issue. He just wasn't feeling well. And I just tried to convince myself that it was okay to send him to school. <laughs> I, cause I cannot stand it when kids get sent to school and they're sick because then they'll make other kids mm -hmm. sick and it's unnecessary. Mm -hmm. But for me, I was never a sickly child. So I never had that challenge yeah. and neither was my sister. My sister did same, same record as me. And so we also came from a school, uh, a, you know, home of educators. And so I was like, okay, well, it's fine. He's fine. It wasn't a big yeah. deal. I sent him to school. Yeah. <laughs> no, no fail. Again, a call later about an hour that he had thrown up in his classroom and he wasn't feeling well. And I was like, great. Oh, you know, I picked him up. I felt like a terrible, mm -hmm. terrible parent sending him. And I thought to myself, like, 
why would you do that? Because it gave me such anxiety to think that he would miss a day of school because that was so instilled in me. And like, you don't miss school unless you're dying or just like ever, like you just never do. It's very important. School is life. And then I thought it's kindergarten. It's not (laughs) sanctioned in the state of Texas. Like you technically don't have to go to kindergarten. And my husband looked at me like I had six heads. He's like, what is wrong with you? I said, well, I just didn't miss school. And so they just will not miss. Like it's unacceptable. You don't act up in school. You Mm -hmm. do your work. You show up. You're not late. And that's that. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a great thing to have. But on the other end, it's like, oh my gosh, Heather, like chill. It's kindergarten. (laughs) It's one day. Now he's humiliated probably because he got sick in class. We were moving schools, thank God. So he he doesn't have to relive it at the school. But you know, in that moment. I think all kids have that for sure. Right. So I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, I just did so much damage. Like we're moving. And so I think it carries on past. And so it's. My parents instilled that in me and I'm trying to instill that in my children. However, you got to also recognize like yeah, yeah, eh, a little extreme, like it's okay. <laughs> like the world will not end if you get sent home an hour early or something. Yeah. I just think it's so important. Like, I think sometimes you just have to embrace and understand the culture of your family. Um, you know, the culture that you and your husband want to create And, and for us, like it was very highlighted because we were, it it became very highlighted when we brought, brought in a child who, you know, wasn't with us from birth on. And so, you know, we really were just intentional of creating this family dynamic and, and kind of a family, like you said, family mantras, but just really instilling a family identity because we want him, we wanted him to, like I said, shed kind of that posture of an orphan and like claim his position as a son. Mm -hmm. And so some of the ways we've done that is, you know, our last name is Stuart. And so our kids laugh, my big kids laugh now. Um, but you know, we're Stu crew, Stu kids, you know? (laughs) And so, you know, we have a little sound that we, (laughs) we do this little sound when we're trying to get their attention, you know, like we just did things really intentionally of wanting to have this really strong family identity. And I don't think you have to adopt a child to do that. I think it's really important, like embracing who you are. If you're a family that loves Disney world, be the family that loves Disney world. If you're the family that loves star Wars, love Star Wars. If you're the family that loves being outdoors, like that is instilling values in your kids. And, and, and instead of like, I think, so just kind of just morphing it a little bit and, and making it just a part of who they are, I think creates a rich childhood for our kids and it really creates security in them. And so, you know, that's when you're building trust with a child and, you know, we've not touched on trauma, but trauma, has a huge effect on the brain. Um, you know, little fight or flight is in full season, you know, and in, in these little, in these precious little ones. And so, you know, you're really working to prove that you're trustworthy, um, that your word matters. And, you know, you do such a great job of just talking, you know, routines and schedule and, you know, 
letting them, you know, we called them predictable patterns. I think I told you before, like, I, I don't like feeling restricted. And so for some reason, just saying it was a predictable pattern felt like it fit better. <laughs> These are our rules and this is our, you know, our schedule. Yeah. That's a um, great way of putting it. I think for yeah. sure. Cause they like to know kids need to know it gives them comfort on like what's coming. It, it, it yeah. takes away the surprise. And if something were to change, you can prepare mm-hmm. and they can shift a little bit easier. Plus with the dynamic, like for instance, in our home, my husband typically travels. You never know if he's going to have a trip or maybe his trip gets canceled or something pops up. So like having that, that was kind of this predictable pattern of him coming and going. Yeah. So then when he came back into the home and now he's been home for a year, it's now become the okay. routine and the norm. Mm-hmm. So that when it changes again, it's going to be a whole nother thing. So you have to prepare them and try to remember, but my kids are so young, like they kind of remember. And so just, I like the predictable pattern for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's a nice way. Yeah. I think even using visual calendars, visual cues with kids, um, you know, all of those things go a long way that we as parents don't really sometimes think through. Um, or I know I didn't. And, you know, this was, he was our first child who, well, I'll take that back. You know, we had our oldest really needed that pattern as well. Um, but I don't, as a new mom, I don't think I realized like if I would just create a calendar for her that she could visually see when she goes to mother's day, or when we go to dance class, you know, it would have made my life easier. Um, and so I think there's definite tools that, that we can use in our, in our bucket, uh, to just, really make our our life flow a whole lot easier. So, yeah, I've touched on visual calendars in the past because my oldest also had the speech delay and there was just no communication. And so visual was the way to go. And it was a way that they could see and understand without Mm -hmm. having to read and understanding like the steps that came next in the sequential order. Mm -hmm. Uh, because, now I think that they kind of fight it a little bit. Maybe it's age, but they know what they're supposed to do. So then it's mm-hmm. like, you know what you're supposed to do. Like, what are you supposed to be doing right now? Oh, I'm supposed to be dressed and ready for school. I'm like, why are you in your PJs playing with trains on the floor? Like mm-hmm. you're supposed to get dressed and do your thing, then play with trains on the floor. Yeah, so we they know. We, you know, because I didn't want to be like, have you brushed your teeth? Have you made your bed? Have you, you know, have you eaten breakfast? Have you got your backpack? And so we just, made a visual, called it our morning five. And I would say, have you done your morning five? And it would be yes or no. And so, you know, I think just things like that, that's the the repeatable phrases like that, where the expectation is known, it really kind of can help remove the emotion. And that's really what we needed in that season was, I don't, you know, instead of launching into the, why have you not done this? And why have you not done this? You know, that you're supposed to do these things. It just is, have you done it? Okay. You haven't, you know, I'm going to set the timer. I need you to get, let's go get these things done. And so I think, you know, those are the things that, you know, we had, we have a phrase and we still use it, um, you know, right away, all the way. And with a good attitude. And when we've asked you to do something and, you know, what's the expectation you do it right away you do it all the way and you have a good attitude. And so when we, then when we see some, one of those not happening, it becomes, are you doing the, you know, are you obeying right away all the way and with a good attitude? No. Okay. Here's your, here's your one chance, you know, here's your chance to, to correct that. And so I think sometimes as parents, if we can just come up with those things that work, um, you know, another one of ours was obedience brings blessing. And so 
now obedience, the blessing isn't always a lollipop or anything like that, but we wanted them to understand like when you walk in obedience, when that's kind of your heart's cries is just to, just to be, you know, pleasing to those around that, around you. And like part of ours is, you know, obedience is, is putting others first, you know? And so it's just things like that. Then we believe that there's intrinsic blessing that comes from doing that. But also there are external blessings that come when you choose obedience. And so those are just some of the little phrases that we've used throughout parenting that our kids now know, they know what it means. And we try to remove some of the emotion that can come in those tense moments. Yeah. Your, your phrases are way nicer than mine. (laughs) I think I need to actually take some notes here and Uh, I like the morning five. I think you called it the morning five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, you, you use much nicer terms than I do. And so I'm going to try and put those into play a little bit more. I mean, typically we say, you know, how would that make you feel or, Uh you know, Yes. So morning five, I'm going to practice those, um, terms just like we took a quite a slight pause here for a second because my five-year-old decided to join our podcast and you probably heard her in the background. So I will be practicing those, those new ones. Cause I think sometimes when you're in the moment, mm-hmm. you're trying to be like, we kind of say like, how would that make you feel? Oh, that's, or sometimes if they're in the moment and they're feeling a certain way, it's like, how do you feel right now? And they explain it to you in a feeling word. It's like, okay, well, when you do this to da, that's how it feels to kind of help them remember how it feels. Um, sometimes it resonates and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and it's challenging, especially when you have all three kids, you know, saying mom at the same time, or, you know, you feel kind of badly when they're like hanging on your leg and, or bartering because I gave my, her my sparkly shoes to get her out the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Go. I love the book, the whole brain child. Um, I've heard of it. Yeah. It's just great about like helping kids connect, you know, really emotions and cause they have to understand their emotions and you want to be able to name those emotions but you also want them to know what to do with those emotions. And it's really practical. Like this book, it's, it's very practical of just, even for toddler ages, it kind of works up in the stages of, of childhood and child development. And it's, it's a good book just to kind of, as just to have some strategies in place for sure. Yeah. And we've taken um, like a child development course and yeah. it's called magic words mm-hmm. and it's just a small booking on Amazon. And it's like how to talk to kids. And I had a guest on my podcast um, several episodes ago and she writes books for children, but they're about adult situations, mm-hmm. but explaining it in words that kids could understand. And this one was about two dogs that um, got into a tiff and the owner got hurt and trying to explain like why one dog couldn't live with them anymore or why, you know, mm-hmm. they were separated. And it was just a nice like way of explaining why and what like maybe the dog was doing like on his outings with like mm-hmm. staying with different families while 
they recouped and like reintegrated them. And it was like a really great way to explain it. So we also have to remind, like, I remind my husband a lot, like when we're looking at like our seven-year-old and he's being very emotional, it's like, he's only been on this earth for seven years. Mm -hmm. Like we've been on this planet for way longer. And so we know better, but it might be a first or early experience for him. And so to try and put yourself in that situation, if something new were to happen to you now, you'd probably have those same emotions. So you're kind of like reverse psychology a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I have to like put myself there too. Like I even said to my mom a couple visits ago when she was here, I just, I think my kids were having like a moment or they were arguing about something about, I think it was just like, they were two exactly the same things and they were trying to fight over. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's the same. It's the same. And I went and I said to my mom, I'm sorry. Like, I know my sister and I did this like, Oh my gosh, I apologize. And she was like, You guys used to do that all the time. And then my sister's like, Did you just not hear her? She said, She's sorry. <laughs> like, she's feeling, I said, I feel that right now, how much that was probably frustrating and how you used to get on us about it and just be like, It's the same. It's not that big of a deal. And now I'm like, oh, It's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so tricky. I think like validating their emotions, but also, having some boundaries with their emotions at the same time, like teaching them to kind of have like, how are we going to express this and, and how are we going to manage this as a family? And, you know, I think when each kid is different, like the way, and I think, you know, I always say like, I was the adoption professional and like, I was super arrogant going into bringing our son home and thought, okay, we're going to cocoon for three months because he's, you know, he's two and a half. And then we're just going to be able, you know, we're going to love and um, we're going to be the primary ones who feed him and do all the things. So he attaches to us. And then we're just going to go about our normal life because everything's going to look good. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And within literally two days <laughs> of him being home, I felt like I was in the pit of despair of like, what, 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 what are we going to do? And because every parenting skill and what came naturally was the exact opposite of what he needed at that time. And so I think some of it's just becoming students of your children in some ways of like understanding their wiring and understanding like what, what's going to be the best way to approach them. What's going to be the best consequence for them. What's going to be the, how are they going to feel love from us? How are they going to feel, you know, like they are getting that time and, and that quality with us? Cause you know, a lot of times people we've, I think we've mistaken that quality, you know, I think as parents, we've said they really just need quality time, but really with kids, they really need quantity time. And I don't yeah. say that to make any kind of guilt, but you know, anything, but it is like a lot of that, with kids is it is some quantity time. And so I think just understanding and becoming as well-versed as we can and being willing to try new things and being willing to say, I'm sorry, I totally botched that. And I handled it completely wrong. Mom's learning just like you are. And I think being vulnerable with your kids like that um, is really what's going to develop the relationship now that, you know, my daughter's a freshman. She lives three hours away. And she calls, FaceTimes us almost daily. And like, it's that that's like, I want to have a relationship with my kids. I want that. And so I can't be 
the dogmatic perfectionist seeking mom and still if I want to have that relationship. And so that's where for us, the older they got and where we kind of had gotten off course at certain times, we really had to strip it back to, all right, here's our boundaries. Here's our values. Here's our, you know, here's our rules. Um, but we're going to learn to say yes more than we say no. That's going to be our approach. And because we want to have relationship with our kids. And we had one situation with our oldest that I just distinctly heard the Lord say, give her grace right now, because I wanted to like hammer down some consequences and giving her grace in that moment shifted everything. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's just becoming a little more open-handed with our parenting and saying, because here's the thing, mamas out there, I think we get it right more than we get it wrong. We just get stuck on what we get wrong. And so, you know, always coming back and restoring relationship, I think is, is a win. I think it's, I mean, hundred percent. And when we're not, no one's perfect. Parenting is hard. There's no manual for parenting or children. Yep. And there's kind of two things I want to touch on that. One thing is like, when I lose my temper, you feel guilt, instant guilt, because it's like, whoa, whoa, like, was that really necessary? Yes. At times like, yes, that was very bad. And you need to understand I'm also a small person. So I always feel like I have to be loud, um, to get my point across. Cause my kids are just going to surpass me very soon. And I just feel like I should hold my own. And my husband's a very tall, uh, man and he's got a deep voice. So when he speaks, it's like, packs a punch and me, it's like, yeah, mom said something, whatever. But when I do yell or lose my temper in ways, I always do try to say like, mommy's very sorry for yelling. Mm -hmm. I was very upset because X, Y, Z. Can you understand why it would make me upset? I will work on, you know, working on that Mm -hmm. and not try to do that so much and acknowledging that I made a mistake because Mm -hmm. the worst thing is like when your parents are like, I never did anything like that. Mm -hmm. When it's like, yeah, you weren't perfect. No one is. Yeah. Yeah. I know I was a little crappy when I was a kid too. I can think about, oh yeah, I totally did that. Mm -hmm. And then they always say, you know, I see our kids doing things that of course Mm -hmm. we did and you thought you were being so slick when you're kids. And now I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like I, I thought that would work. Like, what was I thinking? And they thought it was so cool that like, how did you know that? It's like, we know all because we did it. Mm -hmm. And I guess the other thing is when you were saying that you brought him home and like after two days, it was like, whoa, Mm -hmm. I was, you know, not to put like the biological stamp on it, but because your others are a product of you and your husband, Mm -hmm. you could probably recognize the traits that either lie with you or him. So it was like, oh, if this is the trait, this is how we're going to handle because, Mm -hmm. or this, because I'm sure all kids are different. All three of mine, very different. However, they all have traits of me or my husband. So we always can figure out how to deal. But if you're bringing in someone that has no biology to you at all, that's a whole nother factor that you're trying to figure out because you're not maybe recognizing those factors. Yeah, it definitely is. And we, you know, we were, um, you know, as I said, we didn't have language at the time, you know, and so there was a huge gap in communication and it, 
it was a challenge, but it, you know, I remember when we were in the court and, um, you know, and this has been in any adoption, you know, the judge will look at you and say, do you promise that, you know, basically, are you committing to this child that they have the same rights of inheritance, that they have the same rights, you know, as, as any other child in your family and, and you commit to that, you know? And so it wasn't ever like, it's, it wasn't ever like a question of our commitment to him, but the attachment is a process. And I think there's, you know, even with, with biological kids, probably more so obviously with kids that come into your home a little bit older, that attachment process has to be intentional. It has to be, and it just takes time. Um, you know, one of the things that was really eye-opening to me, like when you have, when you have a, a, a child, a baby, you hold that child, you know, the baby can only see from the crook of your arm to your eyeballs, you know, that's as far as they can see. And so every time they look into your eyes, they're attaching. Every time you feed them, they are looking to you as someone to, that's going to provide for their needs. Every time they cry and you pick them up. And you think of the millions of times that happens in the first two and a half years. Oh, yeah. And so for me, it was the like, okay, I've got to like, I've got to be really intentional with holding. I've got to be really intentional with having him. We used to say this, look at my nose, (laughs) look at my nose, because that was him giving us eye contact. And, you know, I'm the, my husband and I were the only ones who would give him food. We were the only ones who would bathe. We were the only ones who would put him to bed, you know, get him a drink because we weren't being weirdos. We were trying to build attachment. Right. Uh, (laughs) You know, and so it was exhausting. I mean, it just was. And so I think it's just when you realize, I always said this, this is one of the things I just feel like the depth of his need revealed the depth of my own. And it was just this eye-opening thing of his gaps revealed my gaps in parenting and and, in my, you know, just in in my wiring. And so we kind of went on a journey together of of just healing and and really just, you know what, we're we're in this together and, and I want us to walk this as healthy as we can. I want him to feel whole and secure and, and have no doubts that, you know, he is forever ours. And, but also honor his Africa mom, honor his culture, honor, you know, that he, he looks very different than we do. And so we've had a lot of really hard navigating conversations the past year, as you can imagine. And so those are the things that, like I said, all our kids need us to, they, some of them need us a little differently at times. Absolutely. Well, this was, I think, so impactful. I've, I'm walking away with lots of good nuggets that I'm going to be um, and just, just walking away with. And, you know, the vibe just, you're very calming and just very, just, it's so great and peaceful. And I just need to take some of that as well. I'm just like sucking it through the mm-hmm. screen. But I um, so appreciate you being here and sharing with the moms listening. Cause I mean, it's a very important topic. I think when we met, it, I just wanted to jump on it because it was just such, it's so empowering and it's not in my story and in my life, but it's a part of a lot of other people's. And so 
you know, just trying to share everyone's story. And so I appreciate you sharing yours and your family's stories with us. And I want you to tell everyone where we can find you. And if I know that if you guys have questions about adoption or Mm -hmm. maybe navigating the process, I'm sure Mm -hmm. there's a way to reach out to you as well. Yeah. So uh, you can, my website's kellystewart.org. You can find me on Instagram at kelly.stewart6. Um, and I would love to connect with you. Yeah. It, walking and navigating kind of pre and post adoption, any kind of questions you have, um, you know, I do still do some consulting with that and would love to connect with you. Yes. And she is, I mean, you seem to have a lot of experience with just different things and being an adoption consultant. So I, I implore my listeners to definitely reach out and even if it's just to have a conversation, cause you just are very just calming and probably just like give like the okay. Right. Cause yeah. you know, it, sometimes you just need also affirmation mm-hmm. uh, from someone that's been there as well. And you've seen a lot as being, you know, in it. So I yeah. implore people to, to reach out for sure. I would love it. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah, this was so fun. Thank you again. And we'll see each other and yeah. I hope to have you back for sure. and, you know, talk more or if there's anything else, um, please reach out for questions and we will, um, answer them or get you guys in touch with Kelly. So Thank you so much. Have have a wonderful weekend. And thank you again for listening to the Chaos and Cookies podcast. You'll be able to find all of Kelly's information in the show notes along with um, my website and all the handles and any information possibly about adoption and services. And I hope you guys go check it out. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. And we will see you next time on the Chaos and Cookies podcast. Thank you for listening to the Chaos and Cookies podcast. If you want more goodies and friends to share them with, follow the crumbs to the Facebook group or visit the Chaos and Cookies website to grab my sweet secrets on how to calm your cookies. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. See you all next week for another episode of Chaos and Cookies.